moment to reiterate the uh, welcome that uh, Doug issued to visitors. We're glad you're here. We very much appreciate your presence, and we hope that our service will uh, be helpful to your life. If you're visiting with family today because of Mother's Day, I know it's a special day for you. My sermon this morning is not on mothers, and that uh, has nothing to do with my estimation of mothers because I think they're great. And I think they deserve even more honor than one day a year uh, in which we sometimes uh, buy a lot of cards and flowers and other things. We need to show mother's love throughout the years. If your mother's still living, uh, you need to express uh, your love for her. Uh, What I'm doing instead today is presenting two lessons, the Lord willing, on a son that any mother would be more than happy to have, Jesus Christ, son of Mary, but also, of course, son of God. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about Jesus, the suffering Savior. Tonight, the Lord willing, I want to talk about Jesus, the carpenter. I hope you'll be back at six o'clock when we study that uh, subject. You heard the reading from Hebrews 12, and I hope your Bible is still open there for just a little while. I think there are several indications within the book of Hebrews that the first readers of that inspired letter were struggling in their resolve to remain faithful to the cause that they had embraced. It appears that most of these Christians had come out of Judaism, the religion of their forefathers, an old religion, a God-approved religion. And they had left likely what was familiar to them for what was new. That's sometimes difficult. They had likely left friends in Judaism and family in Judaism in order to obey the gospel and become Christians. It's not always easy to leave behind things that are familiar and people we love and move on to something that we feel we must do. There likely was pressure because of that, and that pressure sometimes brought suffering to them. It's interesting that the verse that follows what you heard Doug read a moment ago, Hebrews 12, verse 4, the writer says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. I think that's an indication that there was trouble. And the writer is acknowledging you you haven't died yet, you haven't lost your lives, but I think it surely indicates that trouble was present in their lives. Now, how do you convince somebody not to give up his or her faith? You you see somebody that's struggling and having a problem with their faith. What do you do to make sure they don't give that faith up? Well, you could rebuke such people and let them know how foolish that course of action would be, and that might work and might be needed. You know, in the book of Galatians, as Paul writes to that particular church, 
he notes that there are some who are quickly turning away from the gospel they heard. And Paul rebukes them sharply. In fact, says, oh, foolish Galatians. That might work. Doesn't always work with everyone. So you might also try to find a way to encourage people to hold on. And I think that's what the inspired writer does here in the early part of Hebrews 12. What is it that would really encourage them? Just your words? Just saying, keep on, keep on, keep on, don't give up? How about reminding them of the greatest possible example of remaining faithful to what God wanted in spite of extreme difficulty. And that example, of course, would be Jesus Christ. In verse 2, you remember that the writer said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The writer says in verse 3, consider him. Think about Jesus. There are so many things about Jesus that are worth our consideration, but certainly one of the things would be the suffering of Christ. Now, why is his suffering important to us? Well, for one thing, because we suffer. Sooner or later, all of us are going to be suffering something in our lives. The sun does not always shine, so life cannot always be pleasant. And into every life there come some dark days, some difficult days, some, some really challenging days. And we understand that suffering in the time that we spend on the earth is not equally distributed to all people. The rich man and Lazarus, according to Jesus, were very different in their circumstances. One was living a life of luxury. The other was willing to take even scraps to be able to just sustain his life. And that had nothing to do with how good or bad Lazarus was. In fact, the text shows that he really was much, much better a good man as opposed to the rich man who was living the luxurious life. But he still suffered. And that kind of thing really challenges us, especially if we're the ones suffering. Why do some people enjoy near-perfect health while others endure years of sickness? Why do some people have family heartbreak while others seem to live almost in a storybook family? We'd like an answer to that, wouldn't we? Especially if we're suffering. We may not get the answer we want. I don't think Job got the answers he wanted. At least, at least not at first. He's cha- almost challenging God because he didn't understand why he was going through all the difficulties of his life. 
if we can look at the Lord's suffering and we can learn some things from it, maybe we can handle our own suffering better. You see, we ask ourselves, how did Jesus face suffering? And can that teach me something if I have to suffer? But you know, there's really something else too. We need to learn to appreciate the suffering of Jesus. The path that Jesus had to take in order to be our Savior was not an easy one to tread. We're going to limit ourselves this morning to uh, two points of consideration. First of all, I want you to think with me for just a little bit about what He suffered. I think sometimes we may forget that the Lord suffered what one writer has called the ordinary privations of humanity. Jesus suffered some just because he lived on this earth. You understand, of course, and have been well aware of the fact he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born in in some kind of wonderful setting, but rather in a place where animals were kept. And I doubt that there are any parents here today who have had a baby born in a barn. We know that the earthly mother and earthly father of Jesus were poor people. And we know that because the offering that they brought after the Lord's birth was one given by those who couldn't even afford a lamb as a sacrifice. And so instead they chose to, had to use two small birds as their sacrifice. You recall the comment that Jesus made on one occasion in Luke 9, verse 57 and 58. He was journeying on the road. Someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus owned no home. And we can be sure that while he lived in his human body, Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to feel physical pain. And that is most clearly brought to our minds when we know that before his death, he was beaten. Many stripes laid upon his back. A crown of thorns had been forced down on his head. Nails had been driven into his hands and a spear had pierced his side. Jesus suffered physically. But he also suffered mentally. And he suffered mentally because of sin, not his own sin. And that's somewhat the irony of it. The sin of others caused him suffering. Your sins, my sins. They caused Jesus to suffer. Sometimes people are told they're going to die because they have some disease that affects them. And they have to face the fact that death is coming because you have a disease that affects you. Jesus knew he was going to die. But it was because sin affected others that Jesus had to die. And he knew in advance the kind of death he would have to suffer. He would face, according to Matthew, the 
26th chapter and the second verse, he would say, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus knew how cruel and painful crucifixion was. He had likely seen examples of crucifixion. The Romans didn't mind using it because it was a brutal way of them showing their authority over others. It was the kind of death that could last for a long enough time that the suffering would be intense. And I think that's why you read in Luke 22 and verse 44, as Jesus is in the garden, it says, and being in agony. Jesus was in agony and praying more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Some future point, I'd like to revisit the Lord's agony in the garden just to see a little bit more about it. No wonder Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 26 and 38, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Ever known someone whose sorrow so has been so overwhelming that they really feel like they're going to die? I think it's safe to say that Jesus also suffered because he knew that others had suffered and would suffer because of him. You see, the Lord knew that babies had been murdered in Bethlehem and its districts as Herod had sought to kill him. And I'm sure that Jesus didn't feel good about the fact that innocents had died because of someone wanting to kill him as an infant. He knew, of course, that his parents had to flee to Egypt, leaving their home in order to save his life. They had to uproot everything for a while. He would tell his disciples in Matthew the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Listen, now brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus understood others would suffer because of him. And that must have created his own suffering. Jesus was fully aware that those who hated him would hate those who loved him. And as he hung on the cross, certainly an example of intense suffering was for him to look down and see his own mother gazing up at him. It had been prophesied even before the Lord was born in Luke 2 verse 35 to Mary, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary would feel agony, and certainly Jesus would feel agony watching her agony 
Jesus knew that he was innocent of any wrongdoing. And yet he was accused of being a sinner. Even when Jesus did good works, his enemies tried to use those good works against him. They said he cast out demons by the power of the devil. They called him a Sabbath breaker, a blasphemer. They accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. All false accusations. But Jesus had to suffer those accusations. It's impossible to know how many times the devil tried to tempt Jesus to commit sin. We're aware of that early example when Jesus had been baptized and goes into the wilderness and the devil tempts him those three times. But we forget that the devil must have tried many times to get Jesus to do wrong. Because the devil knew that if he could get Jesus to do wrong, then all of God's plan would be destroyed. There could be no Savior. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus must have faced many different temptations. That must have brought some suffering to him to have to go through all of those even though he was God in the flesh. I think all of us recognize that his greatest agony came while he was hanging on the cross. Yes, there was that intense physical pain that he must have been suffering, but he knew full well that the weight of the sins of the world were resting on him. And for a while, his father had to turn away from him. His father had to let him experience what sin does to people. And no wonder Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in truth, for just a while, God had to forsake him. So that he could bear the suffering because of sin. After you consider what Jesus suffered, you need also to consider what that suffering accomplished. You see, it actually did some needed things for Jesus to suffer. doesn't mean that we're glad that he had to suffer, but some things were truly necessary. Again, that same writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5 and verse 8, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to go through all of those difficulties in order to be a compliant Son of God. He would not have been the Savior had He not suffered. And verse 9 of that same fifth chapter says, And having been perfected, made complete, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus became the perfect Savior because He was willing to endure the suffering that would lead Him to become the Savior. Some people thought when Christ died that surely all was lost, but not so. Because He had said in John 12 and verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men 
are all peoples to myself. You see, Jesus was willing to suffer because he knew what his suffering would accomplish. That if he were lifted up on a cross, that that would be the only hope mankind would have of being able to come to God through his sacrifice for humans. The sufferings of Christ do plenty for us. You see, they show his willingness to be like us, to go through what we go through. No one can say, well, Jesus doesn't understand what I'm going through. Yes, he does, because he's gone through it. But obviously it shows his love. Not just a willingness to do it, but a love that compelled him to do it. Sometimes we sing the song that has this wonderful statement in it. Only his great love made him go. Love led him to the cross to endure the suffering and the shame that he would have to endure because he loved us. And you know, friends, what his suffering really means is that we don't have to suffer eternal suffering. His suffering won't stop us from having some physical and mental problems maybe today, but it will keep us from suffering for all eternity if we turn to Him and obey Him. And so this morning you have before you, in your mind, a suffering Savior. One who gave His all for you, just for you in addition to others, but personally for you. The question is, is He your Savior? You don't have to accept Him. You don't have to obey His will. But let me tell you something, friend. I warn you. If you don't accept His sufferings in behalf of you, you will suffer for all eternity. Don't let that happen. If you need to come to Jesus, this is your opportunity. If you're outside of Christ, not in the body of Christ, you need to put your faith in that Jesus. You need to turn away from your sins. Make that mental decision. I'm not going to live the way I've been living. There's going to be a change with God's help. And then confess Him before others. Allow yourself to be immersed in water. Your sins can be washed away. You can begin living for Him.